Welcome back, everyone, to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Resinello. Oh, you're exactly right, Joe. We work for the man upstairs as you do. You're setting me up quite well. You just gave me an alley-oop. The greatest revolutionary act you can commit right now is to open your mouth and speak the truth. Whether you're an academic or you're a regular guy, we have to be fearless. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach. Again, everyone, and welcome back to the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo, as always, joined by Joe Resinello. And once more, dear brothers and sisters, let us go into the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith of the New York City metropolitan area. We're going to jump right in uh, with a friend of the show. We're welcoming back Phil Campbell. Uh, last time we spoke to him, he came on the show. We talked about Padre Pio which is always a great conversation, talking about Padre Pio. Uh, well, Phil has a new book out from Tan Books, Matron of Paris, another saint, the story of St. Genevieve. Now, don't tune out right now, all you people out there at the, at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, because she's not a well-known saint. This is going to be a great conversation, okay? Um, and uh, so you're going to want to stick around for this. For those of you who don't remember Phil or are not familiar with him, Phil Campbell, he's the author of several books, uh, including Story of the Church, uh, the four-volume Story of Civilization series. He's also contributed to and edited a number of books and wrote two history textbooks. He's the, an instructor at Homeschool Connections and previously served two terms as mayor of Howell, Michigan. Um, he has a bachelor's degree in European history from Ave Maria University, uh, a certificate in secondary education from Madonna University, and Campbell has appeared on EWTN, Ave Maria Radio, Radio Maria, Good Shepherd Catholic Radio, Mater Dei Radio, and on the Crawford Broadcasting Network, and on the front line with Joe and Joe. Phil Campbell, welcome back to the show. I was going to say, if you didn't mention, I was going to say that was my biggest accomplishment was getting on the front line. Oh, Lord. Have mercy. <laughs> you, Philip, you, you and a whole host of other people, they're banging on the door trying to get on the front line with Joe and Joe. Welcome back, brother. It's good to have you. I'm really glad to be back. I, I loved the last time I was on, and I'm, I'm happy to talk to you guys again about this uh, really cool saint. Awesome. With that, I'm handing it over to Joe. Joe Resinello. We'll start off with a prayer. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, never was it known that anyone who sought your help or sought your intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, we fly unto you, a virgin of virgins, our mother. To you we come, for you we stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother, the Word incarnate, despise not our petitions, but in your clemency hear and answer us, amen. Name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. As Joe said, we had Phil on to talk about Padre Pio. We were we were excited to uh, talk about this book. Um, I I spoke to him offline uh, via email. My daughter read the book. Uh, my daughter's in third grade, and to be honest with you, she enjoyed it. Um, also, my mother-in-law read the book. And why do I bring that up, uh, Phil? You may may or may not know. Joe's my brother-in-law. Uh, we're married to Haitian American uh, women. And obviously there's a French, like, you know, line mm -hmm. going through that. So it was really, I think it, I, I, I tell you this because it made an impact on my family. I'm sure we're not the only people out there. My daughter read it. She loved it. My mother-in-law read it. Um, and she's a very, did your mother-in-law love it? She did. She did. Wow. And we didn't know about it. Like, like, cause we also, ironically enough, Joe and I have a niece that's named Genevieve. 
Oh, like, cool. like, so that's also kind of interesting. Uh, so yeah, well, that's I mean, great. Like, it, it had a universal appeal that's that spoke to a third grader and also to your mother in law across correct. different generations. That is cool. Yeah. So, so I mean, but why did you pick it? I mean, that's that's the question. You know what I mean? Because I mean, obviously, there's yeah. a French thing going on, you know, in our house. That's why everyone was into it. <laughs> but I mean, like, what was the appeal for you? Well, after doing Padre Pio, I wanted to do a a female saint, and um, I don't remember if I mentioned it last time, but I'm hoping Tan and I are hoping to do more of these saint uh, saint story books, you know, over time. So um, I, I was hoping to maintain a pattern of doing a male saint and then a female saint, and and back and forth to kind of keep it balanced. So <clears throat> I had several candidates in mind for doing a, a female saint. Um, I was trying to find one who was a, you know, obvious, all saints are great examples in their own way, but I was trying to find one who had a life that would lend itself easy to, to dramatization. Um, because sometimes you, you will get these, um, female saints in particular who are very holy people, very good people, but in terms of dramatizing their life, it's difficult because it'll say, well, uh, so-and-so entered the convent at 20 and she stayed there till she died. And, um, that's a very uh, praiseworthy thing, but it's difficult to dramatize into, um, you know, an exciting narrative, uh, or at least I'm not skilled enough to do it. So I was looking for a female saint that had like a, a, a very dramatic life that had a lot of things that would lend themselves to kind of historical fiction narrative. And when I read the story of St. Genevieve, um, you know, she was a, a religious sister. She definitely had a life in the convent, but she was she was very um, involved and engaged in the things going on in her world at the time. She was, uh, you know, involved with kings and, and bishops and very much uh, a part of the life of Paris, which is why she's one of the patrons of uh, patron of the city of Paris. Um, so when I just read her life, I was like, as I was reading it, it's kind of like when a, it's probably like when a film director reads a book and they're thinking this would make a great movie. You know, as I was reading her story, I was like, I could write a, a great historical fiction story about this because of all the imagery and the things she did. And so it seemed really natural. As soon as I read her life, I was like, this is the this is the first female saint I want to do. Philip Campbell, uh, at what period of history are we talking about here? She lives at, she lives in the very early Middle Ages, like right at the time when the Roman Empire is collapsing and we're moving into the medieval world. She really straddles both eras. She when she was young, she lived under the Roman Empire. And by the time she died, she was under the uh, the, the very early medieval kingdom of France. Um, so she's uh, she died in uh, actually the date of her death is disputed, but somewhere around 510 A.D. is when she died. <clears throat> I'm always fascinated by that period of history because because if you listen to the atheists out there, nothing good came of of let's say Catholic Europe. So if you talk about let's say um, you know the sixth century A.D., isn't that just the Dark Ages, Phil? I mean, nothing nothing really good happened, right? Rome was gone, all right, and then you had just a bunch of superstitious Catholics running Europe. Give give our our audience an idea of of the of the setting. Well, we're French. We're French today. The milieu, yeah. if you will. Um, <laughs> nice. The milieu. And, and uh, about like, 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 what, what is this time like? Obviously, Rome's gone. It's the beginning of the, you know, the, the church is 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 taking root. You got bishops, like you said, and kings. What's going on at this point? Yeah. So most of Europe is being overrun by these different barbarian tribes. Um, some of them are pagan, like the Franks, who would become the French. 
Uh, some of them have adopted some form of Christianity, but they're still very, very rough around the edges. Uh, there was a strong sense of lawlessness in many places. Uh, literacy had declined to the point where only, really only monks and clergy were were literate. Your ruling classes, uh, many of the great kings of the period couldn't even sign their name. Um, it was very much a time when, when uh, might was the, the law of the land, whoever could impose their, their rule um, by the strength of the sword. Um, and so this was a very difficult time. Uh, I don't, you know, people will say, oh, it's the, the Dark Ages, the Dark Ages. Uh, I think that's not entirely true. Um, there are many bright spots in this period. I also don't want it to go the other way and say it was a wonderful time. Um, I, I wouldn't want to live in the sixth century. I certainly wouldn't let a, you know, I, I, I love our history, but I, there's some, I'd never let a dentist touch me in that time, you know, like, um, so, uh, but the Catholic church um, very much played the role of the, the bearer of civilization and of knowledge and the intellectual tradition of the ancient world. And what would happen is these pagan cultures like the Franks in France would come in and they would encounter the church and the church would have a leavening influence on them. It would introduce them to uh, to high religion and high culture and the intellectual tradition that they had preserved. And then gradually, uh, these these pagan people would kind of lose their hard edge and become what we would call more more civilized. Uh, uh, one thing that's interesting is uh, across Europe, whenever these pagan cultures would embrace Catholicism, one of the first things they started doing was promulgating law codes, which you didn't have. Uh, as much in the pagan times, but they, they'd they'd see the value of, no, we want to be based on law, not just on the rule of violence. Um, so you see that in, uh, in France and Spain and other places. So the church kind of introduces them to civilization simultaneously with bringing them the gospel. Uh, Philip Campbell joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe, Joe Pasillo, Joe Racinello. So we're discussing the matron of Paris, the story of St. Genevieve out from Tam Books. Joe, let me, Joe Racinello, let me continue for one second. St. Genevieve, okay? Mm -hmm. uh, we'll talk more, a little bit more as we move along about convents, the importance of monasteries and convents, and like you said, civilizing Europe. I think it's important to talk about, but talk about St. Genevieve herself. Um, at, le at least for now, Phil, her beginnings were pretty humble. Am I correct about that? Yeah, yeah. She was born in a small village called Nanterre, which was today it would be considered Metro Paris, but but back then it was out in the countryside. And uh, she was born of humble origins. Uh, her parents were uh, were shepherds on the on the outskirts of town, and uh, and she was raised as a uh, as a shepherdess, just living a small small town country life with no great aspirations other than being a peasant. Okay, Joe Rasinello. <laughs> Phil, I, I mean, you were talking about the Middle Ages because you're around our age. Did you, did you used to watch Saturday Night Live? Yes. Do you remember Steve Martin, the skit when he he was the barber? And he's like, oh, you need a bleeding. He's like the barber and he like would bleed people. Yes, I, mean, I like, <laughs> but, what was he? Was he like Theodoric? I think it was like, like yes, was he, like, yes, that was it. The medieval barber. Like oh, that's classic. <laughs> the thing, I, one of the things, like wh while we were re re reviewing this book, that jumped out at me is here's a woman. Obviously, women during this time didn't have a lot of value, meaning in society status. Mm. You know, yeah. she's basically very simple very humble, um, yet she influenced people. It reminded me of Catherine of Siena, very similar type of person. I think she was one of 24 kids. You yeah. know, uh, then you have like, you know, Bernadette. She was illiterate. Uh, another example of how God uses the humble. 
What impact, though, did the Bishop St. Germain have on her life? Another name that jumped out at me because, one, there's liquor named after St. Germain to this day. You've got <laughs> an, elder, an elderflower liqueur. St. Germain, you go. elderflower Number liqueur. Number two, St. Germain is a soccer team in France today. I believe it's in Paris. So, I mean, the name is still – so many people probably don't even know that it's a bishop that it's named after. In fact, I didn't until I, again, reviewed your book, so I learned something. And number th number three – uh, if we if we do a French-Irish crossover for Irish Catholics listening, uh, St. Germain, we know the story of how St. Patrick escaped from slavery and ran away from Ireland. He ran away to St. Germain's monastery, and St. Germain was his mentor that trained him for the missionary work that he would later use to convert Ireland. So St. Germain is like the spiritual father of St. Patrick. Wow! See, I that's why I say that. all the time that, I, I, and, and we, we never joke about. It. We learn as much as our audience. I had no clue, <laughs> no, none whatsoever. So, but now, okay. So Saint Germain, he's a bishop. Yep. All right. What influence did he have on Genevieve? Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so Genevieve was a. She was born into a Christian family. She was she was pious as a young girl, but like I said, had no particular. Uh, I, I think pr pretensions to anything. She had no class, no status. But one day, uh, Saint Germanus. Uh, or Ger Germanus, as he's called in the book, but Saint Germain, he he's passing through, and he's he's uh, he's holding uh, services in Nanterre, and while he's uh, while he's doing the liturgy, he looks out and he sees like a ball of light over Genevieve's head while he's doing the liturgy, and he's very distracted by it, and he kind of takes note of the girl, and after the liturgy, he pulls her aside with her parents. And he talks to her and discovers that she's uh, that she's extremely pious, and they have a conversation. And he asks her if she'd ever be thought about religious life or uh, consecrating herself to Christ, and she says that that she would love to, and that that would be uh, you know. So he gives her a. She's very young at this point. I think she's like eight years old, so she's too young to take vows or anything like that. But he gives her a little bronze uh, medallion with a cross on it, kind of like as a sign of uh, of her desire, her her promise. And he gives it to her, and then he he tells her parents uh, that he thinks this girl has a vocation, and then he encourages uh, her parents to to nurture it and to treat her well and protect her and bring her up in the faith, and that when she's older, maybe fifteen or sixteen, if she uh, if she has persevered, then she can take vows um, at the convent in Paris. So. Uh, this is like the awakening of Genevieve's religious vocation, and she's faithful to it from from age eight up until fifteen or sixteen. She uh, she she's like the little saint of the village. She's constantly doing good work. She's checking in on people. She's always at the church in prayer, and so even at that very young age, she she develops a saintly uh, reputation. And I think Saint Germain recognized that in her, uh, but obviously with a little help from the Holy Ghost, seeing that ball of light floating over her head. Awesome. Philip Campbell joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joe. So the book we're discussing, Matron of Paris, the story of St. Genevieve. Now make sure, Phil, I'm going to tell everybody, you know what I'm going to say for them to go out and buy it from Tan Books. Yes. Okay. Yep. But having said that, we want you, we want people to buy your book outside of Tan. Where could they purchase the book? Oh, just, uh, j just from, uh, just from our Lord and Master Jeff Bezos. <laughs> <laughs> well, by the way, he's selling the Washington Post. I understand because I think what does he want to buy, Joe? He wants the Redskins, but you can't say Redskins. You can't anymore. say Redskins, oh, okay. Joe. You're gonna get us. You're gonna get us. You know, <laughs> ostracized for society. You used the you used the, the name Redskins that was used up until five minutes ago to describe the Washington football team. No, just go on. Just go on Tan and get it. Uh, but whether you go on Tan or get it from Amazon, uh, if you like the book or if you've read the book. 
Um, I always encourage people to go back and leave a review. Uh, it really helps uh, when you go on Amazon, leave a review. It really helps to push the book up in search results and to get it in front of more people. Um, so I always request that of people. Well, no, and, and and it's a good request, honestly, Phil, because, you know, Joe and I, you know, we we interview a lot of people on the show, most of whom are authors. Um, and we and, you know, you all have a lot to say. You know, there's a culture war going on. Everybody knows it. And we need voices like yours out there. And uh, we out here, we need to be supporting you. You know, we need we need to be help spreading these ideas. Spread we we're we're not just being flippant about it when we say we're spread we're trying to spread the truth of the Catholic faith. It's that mm -hmm. simple. Joe Racinello, where do you want to go? So here we go. She basically has some sparks as far as vocation goes. She meets the bishop. Then her parents pass. She moves to Paris. Um, she's known for acts of charity. She's very pious. What did she do for the poor? Why do I bring that up? I read a book on Catholic saints. It had like blurbs on like every saint. It was a fairly big book. And it was a common theme among saints is that they have a love for the poor. Almost all of them did. Um, she was known for that, her work in Paris. Uh, what did she do? Yeah. Well, uh, she. Well, first off, she entered the convent at a very young age by our standards. I think she was 16 uh, when she entered the convent. She was still quite young. She had a lot of energy. Uh, and being that she had a rustic background, she was used to being out in the country. And so um, the Bishop of Paris thought that she could be put to use going out uh, – uh, convents weren't necessarily strict enclosure in those days like they would become later. So you would often have the nuns going out and about and doing things um, more so than in, in later periods. So the bishop put her uh, put her in charge of, I guess, what we call like making the rounds um, among the poor, both of the city and especially in the countryside because she knew the country life. So she would do things like go visit the poor, uh, bring them clothing, bring them, uh, you know, bring them food. Uh, pray for them, uh, administer to them if they were sick, um, just kind of be like an angel of charity that went around and served them in whatever way was, was uh, you know, needed. Uh, and, and this work was greatly to her liking. She seemed to have for her whole life a, uh, a great devotion to charitable works. Like you said, many of the saints exhibit this. They just want to get out and help people. This was actually where some of her her first miracles happened, where she was making the rounds uh, and, and she would be ministering to people and then someone would get healed or something would happen. And she, she won a reputation early in her life as a wonder worker. I want to just touch on that for a little bit, because ultimately, um, when we do that, you know, obviously, we all, all three of us believe what the church teaches, and we're trying mm -hmm. to basically let's be honest, convince people of it. I mean, yeah. but when you do that, I think people are receptive. I've seen this, and I'm going to give you an example. There was a woman, I used to work with the missionaries of charity. There was a woman that lived in a boarding house. Her name was Sarah. She was from Vermont. She right. lived in this house for like ever in New York City. She was probably paying like $300 a month. She was in there from like the late 60s. She was old. And to be honest with you, she didn't live the best of lives. Uh, the sisters would clean her apartment. It was a wreck, the apartment. She would they would clean it, three of them. I'll never forget that. It, I was just so impressed. But when you care for people in that manner, humble work, yeah, they're going to listen to you. Like, yeah. like this is I believe that's the doorway into people's hearts. What I mean by that is like it's one thing to 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 break it down. And and all three of us, you know, we know the faith. We could kind of like lay it out. This is what the church teaches, blah, 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 blah. But when you go out of your way to do something like that, 
If you tell somebody something, I think they'll be a little bit more receptive to listen to you. <laughs> That's just well, me. Yeah, there's a re- there's a reason these things go together. The uh, I mean, the the message of the gospel has to be. Uh, it, it has to be buttressed with your own personal testimony, with uh, with a demonstrable uh, witness that the Holy Ghost has changed your manner of living, uh, and that is really, really evident by when you're doing these works of charity, when you're overfilled with this love and you want to just share it with other people in these tangible ways, like cleaning that woman's apartment. Um, I think that's what gives meat to your words and what opens people up. I mean, I don't, I, I don't think people care for folks that are just out there on the internet or whatever, you know, just saying whatever they they want. Uh, I think they want to see, especially today, uh, real action. I mean, people are really hungry for actual saints, I think, today. Um, so to the degree that we can imitate people like Genevieve or those sisters in our own works, that's going to have more, way more effect than like arguing with people on Facebook or something. Yeah, all right, listen, arguments are fun. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, you know, we, you know, Joe always likes to bring up on the show. Um, and I had never known this. Uh, I knew who Malcolm Muggeridge was, but I didn't really I didn't really uh, know this story about him. When Joe always mentions the sister, um, uh, Sisters of Charity and Mother Teresa, you know, you want you want a stone cold atheist who lived a pretty dissolute life. All right. You got Malcolm Muggeridge. He gets converted to the Catholic faith because of the works of Mother Teresa. In other words, and afterwards learns something about the gospel, which is kind of funny. Um, but yeah, like people like St. Genevieve and people who do these things, yeah, you try. You, you you do something heroic, like a heroic act of charity or fe- feeding the poor and getting out there and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I'm going to listen to you. If I'm if I'm a skeptic, if I'm an agnostic, hey, maybe if I'm an, even an atheist, I'm going to listen to what you have to say because you're showing me something. You're yeah. showing me something. Like I said, results. There is it results. We get out there on the internet. We like having fun. Part of this is having fun. Philip, we don't get paid for this. We we have a blast. We we're trying to spread the truth of the faith. Don't get me wrong. That's the most important thing. But we have a blast doing this. Okay. Yeah. Um. So I, I just wanted to, to throw that out there. It's like the, the the need to you know to 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 sh- as you said, Philip Campbell, to show or at least people could see how the Holy Spirit has changed your life. Anybody who knows me. Believe me when I tell you. I'll say, I'll say, Catholic faith has done something for you. But let's let's uh, get back to Saint Genevieve for a second, because sure. I, I always like talking about broader things, Phil. But let's talk about uh, Saint Genevieve. Uh, she had visions of angels. She had visions of saints. Okay. Uh, here is the problem. Normally, uh, people want to hear those things, but then she shared those visions, and people turned against her. Tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, well, this was around the time when she was um, starting to establish a reputation as a as a wonder worker and as a saint, which I should mention was quite, you know, outside of her control or anything. She was certainly not seeking this kind of renown. She was simply doing what she was told to do. Uh, she was simply, you know, performing these good deeds, doing the prayers, and God was God was favoring her. Uh, and so people start hearing these things that uh, oh that this uh, this woman works miracles this woman is a saint she has these visions, and things kind of got blown out of proportion and um, it it led to a reaction against her um, where you had she became very controversial you know and we've seen this in our own day with different religious figures where it's like oh is he a fraud is he you saw that with Padre Pio right um, well, I was gonna uh, say yeah. Yeah, you get this reputation, God starts working through you, and it says right in the New Testament, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. And so as God starts favoring her with these graces, 
and she starts kind of establishing this reputation, there's a strong reaction against her. Um, I was not certain exactly who her enemies were. Um, the accounts don't really say. I assume it was from other people within. Uh, I mean, I'm, I'm certain it probably wasn't among the poor and the people she was helping. I'm assuming it was among the educated classes and the clergy and other people in uh, in Paris who were skeptical of her uh, because she was so young. You know, we're talking about someone who's barely 20 years old and they're they're calling her a saint and this and that. And uh, I think she aroused envy of people. So there was a backlash against her. And for several years, uh, there was people who were trying to to, to get rid of her. Uh, literally, there was a there was a plot to murder her. <laughs> um, she was um, she, someone tried to drown her. Um, I, I dramatized that in the book, but that really happened. Uh, she she was out somewhere and, and she was assaulted by uh, by some goons who were in the pay of her enemies, and they tried to drown her. Unfortunately, um, she survived. But that's how much uh, that's how much envy and antagonism uh, her witness aroused in people. You know, ahead, it, it made me think like of the gospel, the story of Christ when he helps the the, uh, the demoniac and basically takes the spirit and puts it in the pigs. And then all of a sudden the people are like, now you get out of here. It's like, what? You know what yeah. I mean? Like he helps, like basically this dude is like running around the countryside like a wild man terrorizing people. And yeah. then he helps them. And they're like, you killed all of our pigs. Get lost. I, I, we're not interested. You know, <laughs> isn't that like crazy how people are? Every time I hear that story, I just say to myself, here's a guy. He helps you out, you know, and, and you, you you throw him out of the town. Yeah, yeah. Or when he when he goes in the synagogue and talks about does the reading and talks about the blind have their eyes open, the the deaf, the everybody's healed. And then they want to throw him off the cliff, after, yeah. <laughs> you know, Um so yeah, Genevieve definitely imaged Christ in that way. Um, it was it was due to people not believing that she that she was actually what uh, you know what they were hearing. But it was her old friend Saint Germain who saved her in this regard. Um, Germain uh, came to visit Paris and he called upon her, and everyone was very impressed by that because Germain was like uh the the eminent bishop the eminent holy man of france who had an undisputed reputation you know for for being holy and wise and so that kind of helped and then even after he left he sent her some uh the b bishops used to do this and it was a beautiful gesture as a sign of friendship they would send each other unconsecrated bread from their church uh so he'd take he'd take the bread from the eucharist before it was consecrated um and send it as a gift to another church and it was it was a sign of like friendship and uh, when everybody was uh, in the midst of accusing Genevieve of all these things, a gift arrived from St. Germain, and it was this th this uh, unconsecrated bread with a, a token of uh, you know his esteem for her. And that kind of like, uh, that really impressed people, and that made them think, okay, if, if Germain is speaking up in favor of her, then she must be legit. And that was kind of the beginning of things calming down for her in terms of uh, that persecution. When we come back from the break, Philip Campbell, we want to talk a little bit more about uh, a little bit more about what's going on in France. Uh, one yep. king in particular. Tell our audience real quick, though, because we we think it's important for people to avail themselves of all these resources, particularly yours, um, your civilization series. Uh, quick nutshell, one minute. What's it about? Where where can people find it? Yeah, Civilization is a four-volume set of history books covering the uh, the story of uh, Western civilization from ancient Egypt up to modern times, um, ancient world, Middle Ages, uh, Europe, and then the United States. 
Uh, it's meant for, I'd say, late elementary, early middle school age. Uh, it has lots of historical fiction vignettes in it to help bring the history to life. Um, uh, you can get it from Tan Books. Uh, and there's lots of other components. There's uh, audio drama, wall maps, workbook, all sorts of stuff go with it. All right, cool. Well, thank, thanks for that, Phil. And remember that uh, if you're just joining us, uh, Philip Campbell's new book, Matron of Paris, The Story of St. Genevieve, is also available at Tam, Tam Books. Uh, you're with us at the front line with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Rosanello are way in the breach on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Uh, remember to share the app. Share the Veritas Catholic Radio Network mobile app so that you can have access to all of our station's content. We are an EWTN affiliate, so you get access to all EWTN content and all original programs programming from Veritas. And if you like what Joe and I do, hey, follow us uh, on uh, YouTube until they kick us off, which they're in the process of doing. Um, the Frontline with Joe and Joe or the Frontline TV. And uh, Twitter, though, is not kicking us off because they have new ownership. Uh, so at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe on Twitter. Please follow us there. Phil Campbell is going to come back after the break and have uh, another segment, another great segment. We'll be right back. Catholic Radio Works. And now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened. Parishes and communities flourish. So let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in. And let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back, everyone, to The Frontline with Joe and Joe. Joe Pasillo and Joe Racinello, Way in the Breach with Philip Campbell. We're discussing his new book, Matron of Paris, The Story of St. Genevieve. That is out from Tan Books. Joe Racinello. Philip, uh, we talked about, you know, she was a humble girl, Genevieve, and then she basically influenced uh, others. And she had a great influence over Childric, who was the king of Gaul, king of France, uh, who overtook Paris. Couple comments before I, I get your take on this particular relationship between the two. I've met a lot of people, Philip. I've never met a Childrick. Never. I could just see this. <laughs> I dude. knew you were going to go there. I, I, I never knew you were met say a, something a, about a, a his person name. named Childrick. That's number one. Number two, I just imagine this guy. I mean, here he is. He's like a pagan. Like, he probably's got like a deer skin cloak on with like, yes. you know, with like moose antlers coming out of his helmet. He's probably a lunatic. Kind of looks like Arnold in, in, in yeah, Conan there the you Barbarian. Go. Yes, and, yes. And then you have like this young Catholic girl. How does such a person get influenced by somebody? It just shows you what holiness does. It breaks down all those boundaries. It really does. Um, tell us about that relationship. It, it it really does. I think if Genevieve would have been a powerful man, uh, you know, coming before the king, you know, with an army or something like that, I think the king obviously would have been suspicious and hostile of the motives. But one of the disarming things about holiness is it's so clear that holy people aren't coming with ulterior motives. Um, you know, they don't, you know, you got this, you got this young girl. I think when, uh, when Childeric uh, took Paris, uh, she must have been, uh, she was an adult, but uh, still not, you know, probably in her thirties. Um, and, uh, you just got this woman who's running a convent and it's very clear that she has no physical power. She has no armies. She she's, she's coming to negotiate uh, just out of the goodness of her heart. And it's very disarming, especially for people who are used to only dealing with uh, dealing in power and only dealing with other people who want to speak the language of power. And then you language of the spirit. 
or who is just has no no pretensions to take away your power or dethrone you. They just want to serve God and serve humanitarian ends. I believe it's disarming. Now, I also believe that uh, Childeric had heard of Genevieve, and she had a reputation even among the Franks. And uh, the Franks not being Christian, I do think there was a little bit of a superstition uh, 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 that Genevieve had an aura where it was like, oh, this uh, this woman has magic powers. Like, don't don't upset her. <laughs> you know, like you want to you want to stay on her good side. So uh, the king was very enamored with Genevieve. He'd heard things about her. And then when he met her, he was incredibly impressed with her um, with her personal piety and with her goodness. And so he was willing to assent to things she wanted. Um, Kilderic was the one who took over Paris after the fall of Rome, uh, made it into a, a Frankish city. And uh, this could have been—it could have been a very brutal siege. It could have been a situation where the Franks came in and killed everybody or dispossessed everybody. Um as far as early medieval sieges go, it was relatively mild. There were prisoners taken. There was a battle, but through Genevieve's um, through through Genevieve's intercession, he uh, he released all the prisoners he'd taken, and she even was able to secure. And this is probably one of the most dramatic parts of her life and of the book. Uh, while the city is under siege, um, she makes a uh, she makes a foray outside the city to go secure. Uh, food for the starving people and it's it shows you how much confidence they placed like if your city was under siege you know and you're starving to you, you know you're starving and there's a ho horde of barbarians out there who are you going to send to go get food are you going to send the nun you know like to, to go mm. get the the supplies but that's how much confidence they had in her that, that she was she, she was sent out um and, and she went out and she was able to obtain uh enough now in the book I made her get the food from the Franks. I don't know where she really found it, but she was able to obtain uh, supplies to relieve the city. She became the hero of Paris, stopped them from starving. Then she negotiated a more, uh, I guess, a more peaceful transition of power with the king of the Franks than it could have been. Um, so she was extremely influential. At a certain point in time during this transition from Roman power to Frankish power, she was like the de facto, I don't want to call her the ruler of the city, but... Um, it was really her opinions that decided what was going to happen. And if she set her mind to something, people had confidence in it and they supported her. So, okay, I guess I will call her the de facto ruler of the city. She she was calling the shots for a time uh, during this transitionary period. Well, when you have that kind of influence, who was the king of the Franks? Was it Clovis? Uh, at first it was Childeric, and then it was his son Clovis. And, and just again, just as, as far as letting our audience know exactly what's going on at this point, um, Rome's fallen yep. and not just in, in, in the kingdom of the Franks and not just in Gaul, all of Europe, the Germanic, it's all warring tribes at this point. Am I right? In other yeah. words, it really is like not not a whole lot of stability going on. Um, yeah. around 500 AD. Yeah, and it's this point where, like you said, not just in France, but everywhere, and there's this sense where, like, okay, nobody is coming to help you. You know, you're completely cut off. Paris had been a Roman city, but it isn't anymore. It's surrounded by hostile tribes, and it's going to be one of these tribes are going to take over, and Genevieve kind of holds it together during this transitionary period uh, while the Franks take over. And then even as they're taking over, she's constantly using her influence to be like, okay, let our prisoners go, stop harassing our clergy, uh, stop, uh, you know, stop 
desecrating our churches, uh, uh, getting them to recognize the the validity and the valuableness of the Christian population, and and really working to treat them equally. And it works. By the time she's by the time she's old, the Franks uh, have pretty much ceased recognizing a difference between the old Romans and the and the Franks in in law at least. That's the old uh, distinctions start to break down. So she was tremendously successful, and every time she did this, it just strengthened her reputation more until she became not just a holy woman, but really like a diplomat, like the diplomat that represented the city of Paris before all these different interests. Philip Campbell joining us here at the front line with Joe and Joey. Encourage you all out there to go buy his book, Matron of Paris, the story of St. Genevieve from Tan Books. Joe Resinello. I just want to emphasize, like, the people that she was influencing, and, and it just goes to show you how holiness impacts people. They weren't Catholic. You know, too many people downplay, like, holiness. It's real. Because what do people see? Even people who aren't baptized. God yeah. made everybody. And a holy person basically is revealing, in a way— God's love and light to the world. That's what holiness is. It has nothing to do with our own flesh and blood. All we're doing, if we basically live God's will and basically live a sacrificial life and do all the things the church asks us to do, and you'll influence people who aren't even Catholic. I mean, I, I can't like, like, I, I want to just explore that a little bit because these are like barbarians. Yeah. Not like, only you know are they not I mean? Catholic. Like, not only not Catholic, but the sort of people that you'd never want to run into on your worst day, you know? That's right. No, no, seriously, no, no. That's why I mentioned, I wasn't joking when I said, like, like I have images of Arnold from Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. Like, like a guy, a guy who, when he was a kid, had to, like, walk behind the, the, the that stone, and, like, that's how he gets big and strong and wears animal skins and carries a big sword. Like, that is the image I have of these uh, b barbarian in an historic sense. I'm not, you know, obviously yeah, using yeah. it as an insult. Um, these barbarian tribes. Uh, talk about Attila, um, <laughs> if you don't mind, Philip Campbell. So, real quick, um, the Huns uh, invaded Paris. Yep. Correct. Uh, uh, they di they didn't attack the city, but they invaded France. So this is at that time when the Roman Empire is collapsing. It hasn't fallen yet, and there's a power vacuum. Like, who's going to rule? And uh, Attila the Hun invades France, and uh, he's going to make a sweep towards Paris, and all the, the Christian population wants to flee. Now, Attila is like—to to give you an idea of Attila, we're just talking about all the Franks, the guys dressed in the animal skins like Conan the Barbarian. <laughs> like, Attila was the guy that those guys were afraid of. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so yeah, right. uh, Attila wasn't even—he wasn't even Germanic. He was from Asia. You know, it, probably the closest approximation is he was like— Mongolian or, or something, you know, mm -hmm. so totally different culture, uh, had a massive, massive kingdom uh, army behind him. And even the Franks and these sorts of groups were afraid of Attila and didn't want him around. And so the the common people were absolutely horrified of Attila the Hun, and they were just going to abandon Paris, they were just going to flee. And St. Genevieve encouraged them not to flee. She encouraged them, they were safer in the city than going into the countryside. But she she said that um, that they were going to be safer, uh, that, that God would protect them. And she she organized like what today we would call a prayer crusade or something like that, where the people of the city prayed uh, in prayed continually. Uh, and sure enough, Attila just uh, changed course. He came into France, and instead of going towards Paris, he turned a different direction. He met a very large Roman army, and uh, he wasn't decisively beaten, but he was turned back, and he he, he abandoned France after that. And so this... 
this really solidified Genevieve's reputation as someone who, uh, someone to be listened to, who got results, who had a special connection, insight to what God was doing, and who could be trusted to make these sorts of decisions. Let me just expand on it, Tillich. And Joe and Philip, you guys are good with history. Please correct me if I'm wrong. Wasn't it Pope Leo uh, the Great? who basically, when Attila the Hun was going to sack Rome, basically met him alone. He was like, here's this guy coming to burn Rome to the ground. And he's just like, no, I'm going to go meet Attila the Hun. And he spares Rome. He sp- yeah. Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Attila, after he left France, he came to go down into Rome, and the Pope met him on the road with just a few uh, other clergymen and senators, and he convinced Attila to turn around. Um and then Attila turned around and then died uh, shortly thereafter, and so the scourge was removed. You know, it's it's funny because as a dad, I, I mean, um, obviously I'm concerned about what's going on. We don't have Attila the Hun, uh, but we yeah. do have Rachel Maddow on MSNBC. I call <laughs> it MSLSD, who is out of her mind. Uh, and a lot of craziness is basically, you know, being thrown at children. I've young- Joe, I don't think anybody out there in the culture or in the media has ever compared Rachel Maddow to Attila the Hun, but go ahead. <laughs> but, well, that's why you come on the show. I'm, no fan. I'm not a fan of Rachel Maddow. But I've never heard that one before. You've just you, you've just put an image in my head, Joe. Okay, Go ahead. I had to do it. But Continue. but my point That's is, right. uh, what I pray for, because you here's a, a young nun who basically spares, tells them it's going to be okay. I pray every morning for my children, my family, my wife, and I always ask the Blessed Mother to hide us in the Immaculate Heart of Mary, in her heart, like in plain sight. Because basically, mm-hmm. ultimately, these folks were in plain sight, but yet they were spared. Same yeah. thing with Pope Leo. He gre- he meets this man, this barbarian, and they and Rome is spared. Well, that's my prayer as a dad. You know, what's going on, I always ask the Blessed Mother, you know, Basically, let my family take refuge in your immaculate heart. I bring that up because I think that's important. Um, God does have a hand in taking care of us. Um, that doesn't mean we're not going to suffer to a degree. We yeah, all I, I, you know, I really thought of the same thing when I was writing this book, and it was like, in, in these stories, like with Attila the Hun, God carved out little pockets of mercy in, uh, you know, in the life of Genevieve and the people of Paris, but. Um, he didn't spare them by he, he didn't spare them by doing away with all their temporal troubles. Like Rome did fall. Paris was taken by the Franks. They were overrun by pagans. You know, uh, all the bad things happened that they didn't want to happen. Um, but it was kind of like the way out, the mercy was like through all those things. Uh, like it wasn't in avoiding the Franks taking over. It was like they still took over, but then it got the situation got turned. It was like the paradigm shifted. Once they were in power, you know, and then a new reality kind of emerged as these people started converting. The 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 son of Kilderic Clovis would be the first Christian king of France, you know. So it wasn't a situation where God spared everyone by saying, I'm going to forestall all these calamities. The calamities came, but there was like a way through them, you know, like a path through the Red Sea, you know. That's kind of how it worked. And I think well, that's how it works in most of our lives. And obviously, if you look at it in hindsight, when we have the luxury of hindsight, when you look at, let's say, the history of that area around that time and the subsequent couple hundred years, you had Christian kings defending Europe. You had, you know, you know, Frankish kings. You had, you had, um, you had Otto. 
Yeah. You had um, uh, mm. Pepin. You had um, Charlemagne, Charles Martel. Yeah. Well, think about it this way, and this is pretty astonishing. From our perspective, we celebrate Genevieve as the matron of Paris, one of the pivotal figures in the foundation of France. Uh, the, that Frankish King Clovis, the first Christian king, the founder of all the French dynasties that came. We see it as the beginning of the Middle Ages. Sometimes I, it's called the birth of France. Sometimes, like in retrospect, it's the beginning of this glorious Christian civilization. But for those people at that time, they probably felt like their whole world was collapsing. You know, they probably felt like it was the end of civilization as they knew it. Um, they didn't have the hindsight that we do, but uh, it really shows you how the 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 perspective really matters. You know, uh, yeah. the, the seed has to die before it's born, right? It says in the gospel. And, uh, you know, it just must not have seen. So to our own day, to our own time, what's going on around us, I think many of us who ha who are Catholic and have traditional values feel the same way, like civilization is collapsing, you know, um, but what will the hindsight be like in another thousand years? What is what is being born right now? What 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 is being given birth to that we're not aware of? Um, right. These are interesting things to contemplate that the story of St. Genevieve really makes us pause and think about. Let me ask you this, uh, Philip Campbell. Um so obviously, to become a saint, you have to have a miracle or two or three or five <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. attached to your name. Uh, so um, so Genevieve's intercession um, was seen a couple of times. The most famous occurrence was the miracle. I'm, I know I'm butchering this. Des Ardennes? Is it, uh, I, I think so. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> all right. I don't feel too bad now. Um, well, talk, to our, talk to our audience here at the uh, Veritas Catholic Network. So what, yeah, what I know this isn't occurrence? in the book, you, uh, Philip, but, but right. at the same time, I think this is important because here it is. She's the matron, you know, one of the, you know, patron saints of Paris. And, you know, this is a huge, huge impact. On this is actually, city. yeah, this is St. Genevieve's most famous miracle, I think. And it happened 600 years after she died. <laughs> um, so this dates back to the year 1129. Uh, so now we're in the high Middle Ages, you know, Christian kingdom, popes, everything. We're, we're right in the, the Middle Ages, and this terrible epidemic is ravaging Paris. Um, people are dying left and right, and of course, they, they didn't know what to do. And so they remembered St. Genevieve. They remembered how in the old days she had delivered the city, delivered them from the Huns, spared them from the Franks, uh, how, how she loved Paris so much. And so they decided to take the remains of Genevieve. Uh, she had a very elaborate kind of movable shrine, like a, a very large reliquary, uh, like a chest kind of, kind of like a little Ark of the Covenant thing uh, that her remains were in. And they decided to go in procession with her remains, I think from where she was buried to Basilica or Cathedral or something, but they did a huge procession through the streets of Paris and... In in real time, as the the shrine moved through the streets, um, the the plague uh, ceased throughout the city, and people who people ran up and touched it and were healed immediately. So you had people who were sick, and the the shrine would pass by, and they'd be healed right away. And so by the time the shrine had passed through the city, uh, the plague had completely ceased, uh, and uh, and been spared. So it was a it was a very huge miracle that led to you know, thousands of people's lives being saved. It was so, it, it was such a big deal that it was investigated by the church. This was in the very early days of when miracles were investigated, like in the uh, 1100s was when they first started doing that. Um, and as I recall, 
don't quote me on this, but I think the Pope actually visited the city himself uh, after the miracle uh, and uh, in, in order to ask questions and oversee the, the process for uh, the investigation, and it was declared authentic. And then uh, they declared some uh, annual commemoration of the event, which was held for many, many centuries. So it was considered that, like, well, once again, Genevieve has saved Paris, even though it's, you know, centuries later. <laughs> they, they still called upon her when they needed her. Uh, well, let's, um, let's pivot for a second. Uh, let's talk about ingratitude, if, if you don't mind, okay? So let's fast forward up to the late 18th century. And that wonderful historical event known as the French Revolution, right? Oh yeah. Um, because I'm I'm not, I'm not going to lie to you, Bill. Um, when I think about the French Revolution, when I think about let's say uh, France from that point up to this point, maybe with a couple of blips um, of hope, uh, France to me is a basket case. I mean, they've completely gone off the rails, uh, particularly nowadays. That's not really. France. And, and I think as a Catholic, as I've grown more in the faith, um, I've come to appreciate French history uh, a whole lot more. In fact, appreciate French history more and actually dislike British history a, a little <laughs> bit more. Um, but let me ask you this. Uh, so what cheesed off the French Revolutionary so much? Why did why, why, why did St. Genevieve like rub them the wrong way? Yeah, uh, ingratitude. Uh, so what you're referring to is at the time of the French Revolution, her relics were smashed and destroyed, um, which, uh, uh, gosh, when I when I think about all she did, when I think about her struggles and the things she lived through and the people's love for over the centuries, uh, thinking about that makes me sick to my stomach and it makes me furious uh, that people would have such ingratitude towards somebody like that. Uh, by the way, to make it, they did that to, uh, uh, th there wasn't many relics of Joan of Arc left either because uh, she was burned, but the few that were left, they they smashed those as well. Can you imagine being so, in, like, uh, like destroying the bones of Joan of Arc? Like, what the heck? Um, it, it makes me right. so angry thinking about it. But, so the French revolutionaries were trying to overthrow the whole the whole system of Christian piety that had existed in France since the early Middle Ages. And Genevieve, it shows you how popular she was even in the 1790s. Like, if she wouldn't have been that popular, they wouldn't have so furiously uh, attacked her shrine. But she was the matron of Paris. She was she was uh, invoked throughout all of France as a as patron saint of the French people. She very much represented the whole old system that they hated so much uh, she was her shrine was like a focal point of devotion for the catholic religion and therefore it had to be destroyed one of the things i always like to point out to atheists when they you know when they spew their lies about well the church never really did anything good and atheism is so great and wonderful and we're just a bunch of peaceful people who want to get along your first greatest example of just how ruthless atheists could be go read the story of the vendee after yeah. after the French Revolution, where two hundred fifty thousand Catholics were slaughtered, all right, mm -hmm. and uh, what is that, no, Philip? That's uh, Vendy is like north central, north central France. No, I think it's, uh, you know, I'm not great on French geography. I thought it was like in the south central kind of. I don't know. I'll take your word for it. But either way, the slaughter was 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 absolutely real. Appalling. Yeah. 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 No, I think I, I don't quote me on this, but I believe that that some relics of Genevieve were saved. Um, I believe. 
I believe a part of her skull or something was spirited away or something and that, or maybe another part, but I don't think they're completely lost. I think today you can still go venerate uh, what remains of Genevieve's body. Thankfully. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah. I, I want to uh, talk though for a sec, because obviously it's a shame that they basically destroyed that. But here's the thing. We're still talking about her today. Yes. See, that's the thing. I said this at work a while ago, uh, and it, it, it kind of sparked a little bit of a conversation. If you think about what lasts, even over 100 years, it's art or saints. That's it. Nothing lasts. Even the, like, you know, like huge companies, huge companies, Merrill Lynch, gone. Yeah. It's over. You mean like, Amazon's going to bite the dust one day? Will. Someone will figure <laughs> something out. But saints and art, like Shakespeare's around and will be around forever. That's the only thing that's. Why do I bring that up? Why don't we strive to be saints? Like, honestly, and I'm not just saying that. I really mean it. Like, we strive as humans, high-achieving kids, high-achieving people. We want to do all these things. Okay, great. Great, you made a lot of money. Great, you went to a good school. Ultimately, who cares at the end of the day? You're just another rich white guy. Like, like, <laughs> like, to be honest with you, like, there's tons of them, you know, out there. Yep. Yep. Ultimately, though, if you're holy, people be talking. This woman lived in the sixth century. We're talking about her now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and how many uh, and how many Genevieves do you know out there in the Catholic world? There's a ton of them, like a, a ton of people to this day. When they're naming their children, that's right. <laughs> they they look and they they look at this woman and they're like, "Wow, that's inspiring." I'm going to choose this name. Yeah, no, Clovis. Clovis is gone. Well, Clovis has turned into the name Louis or Louis. So okay, fair enough. I'll give yeah. him that. <laughs> <laughs> you know it's funny. You know it's funny. But there's no that... Childerics anymore. No Childeric. We got him yeah. there. Yep. What's 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 interesting is that, you know, we talk about this, the, you know, like uh, orders, uh, um, you know, convents, monasteries. OK, uh, we forget as Catholics that we have that same example now. And again, Joe and I close to the Franciscan Sisters of the Renewal, Franciscan Friars, Sisters of Life, Missionaries of Charity. They're all doing the same thing in a barbaric world. No, you, yeah. you deal with you go with the Franciscan sisters. They're up there on East 113th Street in Harlem. They're in the they're, you know they're in the middle of it all. Brother Oshim from the Franciscan Friars down in Newark. He told me one time, Joe, I've been all over the world. This is the worst place I've ever seen, and that's our hometown, Philip. So I hate saying it. You know, Central oh, Ward of Newark. In other words, just you know, in the last couple of minutes, well, uh, uh, an encouraging word. Uh, for our audience, uh, as it relates to, to to Genevieve, obviously Saint Genevieve, who, by the way, lived. We started talking about she went to the convent when she was twenty. She lived yeah. to like ninety years old. Okay, yeah, yeah she so lived she, a long. She time. was up there. But talk about how this is not just a lesson from the past. There are many out there right now who are doing the same things that Genevieve did, and they're right in front of us. We should go and seek them out. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think one great lesson from Genevieve that is applicable today is you simply, uh, uh, and it's very cliche, but it's very true. You simply have to take whatever life gives you. Uh, you don't get to choose what crosses you're going to bear. You don't get to choose the times you live in or the circumstances. You Genevieve viewed everything that was handed to her as like clay that could be molded into something else. You know, whatever circumstance or trial passed her way, she thought, how can I engage this and turn it to the glory of God? Um, so she viewed all those things, uh, you know, not as... Uh, 
she viewed her cross. Yeah, she viewed her crosses as clay to be molded, and we could do the same thing. We just ex- need to accept what comes our way, accept the times that providence has allotted to us, and get our hands dirty and just do what we can to turn things towards God in whatever little ways we can. And as we'll see, that makes a big difference. Genevieve did not set out to be a. Uh, a saint who'd be talked about for, you know, 1500 years. She was just a shepherdess who wanted to be a nun and just fulfilled her vocation and did a good job, you know, and God worked with that and multiplied it. Absolutely. Phil Campbell, uh, where can our audience members buy the book, uh, all your books and where they can learn more about what you have going on? Yes. If you want to get the Matron of Paris, uh, you can get it off of Tan Books or on Amazon. If you want to see a comprehensive list of all my publications, you can visit my website at philipcampbell.net. That's Philip Campbell. If you go Phil Campbell, you'll get the guitarist from Motorhead. <laughs> so nice. You, you want to <laughs> get want the guitarist from Motorhead. You, you want to get yeah, uh, Lemmy. Lemmy would be happy, but I don't yeah, think no, we're so going to remember Lemmy. Th- philipcampbell.net, and then look up books and publications. Uh, if you're online, I'm on Facebook uh, at Philip Campbell, author, teacher. Absolutely. Philip Campbell, thanks again, brother, for coming back on the front line with Joe and Joe. It was a great conversation. We really appreciate it. Thanks, guys. We'll see you again. Absolutely. And thank you all out there for joining us at the Veritas Catholic Radio Network, 1350 on your AM dial, 103.9 on your FM dial, spreading the truth of the Catholic faith to the New York City metropolitan area. Two things. Download the app, the Veritas Catholic Network mobile app, and share it with your friends so that you can have access to all of our station's content. And if you like what Joe and I do, you can find us on YouTube at The Frontline TV or The Frontline with Joe and Joe, and on Twitter at with Joe and Joe, at with Joe and Joe, and help uh, help us out wherever you see us on social media. And remember, until the next time, that our conversation is your conversation, and that conversation is going on everywhere. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>